either one of these any good? Wow, this is a good movie. It's pretty good. Well, the director from yesterday doesn't think so. It stinks. You sorry. You waste all our film. <laughs> it's so bad. Well, we're not setting a new record this week, but we've got a few. Yes. We've got a few to talk about, and we're excited to do it. Glad you're here. She is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf. And we're from MadWolf.com. This is the Screening Room Podcast. We're going to start with the story of five young mutants just discovering their abilities while held in a secret facility against their will, fighting to escape their past sins and save themselves. The new mutants. What's the last thing you remember, Danny? He said we had to run. The reason you survived is because you're a very uncommon girl. You're not alone. Not anymore. Do you know what mutants are? Would anyone like to share their first time? Rain? I was 13. I thought it was a dream. I just lost control. Liliana? I killed 18 men. One by one. This isn't a hospital. It's a cage. Well, you hear the word mutants, you think X-Men, and it's it's a spinoff of that universe. Yes, it is. Yes. These five teens are under the impression, the misimpression, that if they just uh, do as they're told and follow this medical protocol and learn how to control their powers, they'll get moved on to the next facility, and they're thinking to themselves... X-Men. And that's not where they would be going, as it turns out. And when you say facility, in this one, they wake up. It's sort of an asylum-type thing. Yeah. And that's always scary. Yes. Well, that's the thing, is that if you're not aware of it, this is a horror film. And that... PG-13 horror. It's a PG-13 horror. But that, I mean, that, I, I always knew that that was where they had said they were going to go. That's cool. Uh, with this. So I was excited for yeah, that to see what they yeah. could do. But it is, as you say, it's a PG-13 horror film. And Josh Boone co-wrote and directed it. He is mainly known for the probably granddaddy of all the YA angst porn, A Fault in Our Stars. Yeah, that's, yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, well, you know how much we both love YA. So that's what he brings to to this mutant story, it's it's squarely, unapologetically aimed right at the YA crowd. Yes, it absolutely is. It starts, as almost every YA movie does, with a voiceover of the what? main character who's beginning to tell you what lesson they're going to learn, and then the film is flanked at the end by the same character retelling exactly what they said at the very beginning, only adding that last sentence that lets you know what lesson was learned, um, which is which is cheesy and so rote and so tired to me. But obviously, the the target audience must like that kind of a thing. They must, because they just keep doing it. They do. And then the <laughs> other thing, you know, which I think actually really suits the whole idea of X Men is that you know the movie is about. Forgiving yourself, embracing your weirdness, you know, supporting other weirdos, which I, first of all, think is a very useful messages for adolescents to hear. And we should say about the narration, we know why they're doing it. We do. We're not. I mean, it's it's so that we're talking to you. You're part of our group. You're we're talking to the YA kids in the audience. And so right away they try to get them. We're just we're all friends here. We're talking. We're sharing each other's pain. I get that. It's just that, come on, after so many films, you, do you 
always have to do it? Right. Can you try yeah. it a different way? Anyway, I digress. There are some great things happening in this movie, some very enjoyable things happening in this movie, and, and primarily these land with the two most solid talents in the film, Anya Taylor-Joy yeah. and Maisie Williams. We know Anya Taylor-Joy, of course, starting with The Witch, right. but she's been great. In everything. In pretty much everything. And Maisie Williams, uh, even though we never watched, we know she's from Game of Thrones. Right. And they both do a very good job. Uh, Anya Taylor-Joy plays the Ileana, who is the one who's probably destined to be a bad mutant, mm. you know. And Maisie Williams plays Shapeshifter, who can turn into a dog. And she's clearly, well, as all dogs are, she's good-hearted. <laughs> And the two of them are in a battle of who has the biggest eyes for one human face. That's a tough battle. They're huge. <laughs> it's so, but you know, but it, it works really well again for the sort of not just mutant idea, but comic book idea. Mm-hmm. I mean, oh, you know, yeah. it really, really does. The rest of the performers are much weaker, and the story. I mean, it's such a, it's such a funny idea if you've ever seen a horror film and somebody wakes up handcuffed to a gurney in uh, what appears to be all but abandoned old ancient asylum. You're like, oh, uh, nothing good is going to happen. Right. And so it's funny that there are certain elements of the movie that, that almost feel, you know, Breakfast Club esque, and you think, but this is. They should all know this is doom, you know, (laughs) and then what happens is uh, as they're all trying to learn how to control their powers, they all start seeing the demons of their past and then they think it's just visions. But then, in, in fact, these sort of waking nightmares harm them, which only made the whole movie feel so much more like a nightmare on Elm Street 3 Dream Warriors. It's basically the same movie, except instead of Freddy Krueger, they're dreaming about different things from their own individual past. But, uh, you know, I might be the only person who realizes or recognizes that. The point is... I doubt it. It meshes horror, comic book, you know, um, superhero movie, and YA romance, and it doesn't do a very good job of it. That's a lot for one plate, and it also really, I think, doesn't elevate any of the material in particular. So I think it's going to have an audience. I don't think they're going to adore it, but it's not going to have... I I can't see it really transcending a youth market to having the sort of staying power of most comic book movies. On the other hand, X-Men hasn't had a hit in a while. Right. And, and just know going in, it's if you're not YA, it's really not aimed at you or right. for you. And that's the new mutants. Next is the latest from our old friends Bill and Ted. Once told they'd save the universe during a time-traveling adventure, the two rockers from California find themselves as middle-aged dads, still trying to crank out a hit song and fulfill their destiny. Bill and Ted face the music. Bill, we've spent our whole life trying to unite the world. And I'm tired, dude. Ted, we have a destiny to fulfill. Whoa! Whoa! Greetings, my excellent friend. We have a problem. Step forward. A song created by Preston Logan. Performed tonight will save reality as we know it. Oh! Dude, we better write that song now. Or why can't we just go to the future when we have written it? And take it from ourselves! Except, won't that be stealing? Cheers! <laughs> How is that stealing? If we're stealing it from ourselves, dude. Been almost 30 years since the bogus journey. And the wild stallions are back. <laughs> the wild stallions. That's right. Uh, it's, as the synopsis says there, catch up with them when they're middle-aged and... And they're both dads, and it's Alex Winter, of course, and uh, Keanu Reeves back in the roles, which is nice to see. There's a certain nostalgia there, and that's really the draw of this movie. If you have a nostalgia and an affinity, an affection 
for this franchise, you're going to like it because it's more of the same. You've got the original writers from the franchise, uh, both installments, Chris Matheson and Ed Solomon. And then the director is Dean Parasot, which, if you don't know his name, he did Galaxy Quest. Right. Which I still kind of think of as a cult classic. Maybe yeah. it's a... It's hilarious. It is. It's very good. It's it, very good. It really and, is. And I think it's a good choice for this because what it, it's kind of making fun of something, but it's so affectionate about it. There's nothing cynical in the way it's delivered. Right. But Galaxy Quest is a lot more funny than this is. It's certainly, it's, it's good-hearted. It's warm. It talks about living in harmony and keeping going even throughout your, the mistakes of your lifetime because as we do catch up with Bill and Ted, um, Ted especially... Is thinking about hanging up the guitar. Right. Been long enough, and it really hasn't happened for the Wild Stallions. But they get a visit from the future in the form of Kelly, who is the daughter of Rufus, George Carlin. Mm-hmm. And it's nice. They managed to give George Carlin a few seconds in this movie through some old footage uh, in hologram form, which is pretty cool. Yeah. But anyway, they get the message that in order to save reality from collapsing upon itself, they have to. They have 77 minutes to do it. <laughs> to They have to write and perform the song that's going to save the world. So they get a clue from the future that they, they did do this. They know they did do it. They just have to do it now. So uh, it's Ted's brilliant idea to do a little time traveling, go into the future, steal the song from themselves, bring it back to the present, and then perform the song and everything's good. Well, of course, when you start time traveling, have you ever seen a time travel movie? <laughs> <laughs> they go into the future, they meet themselves at different ages, and of course then they know we didn't get it right this time, we got to go back and all that stuff. At the same time, their daughters are trying to help out, and they're doing some time traveling too in different times, trying to round up this band of great musicians through the ages. I'm talking... Louis Armstrong and Mozart and and Dave Grohl, too. He gets involved. Sure. So so it's crazy, obviously. You know what you're getting with Bill and Ted. It's just not that funny. Right. It it really isn't. It's nice to see everybody back. William Sadler's back as death. Mm -hmm. Of course, death on bass. He's still doing the bass for Wild Stallions, even though he did get kicked out. And you do find out the reason before he got kicked out. And that's one of the funniest gags in the movie, so I won't spoil it. But for me, it just didn't hold together as as a comedy. It just gets along on the good feelings of these two characters, because especially Alex Winter, he just falls right back into it. And he, <laughs> he hasn't really become, of course, the icon that Keanu Reeves right, does. Right. But uh, he's, he's a lot more effervescent uh, as Bill, which is sort of the character always has been. And Keanu Reeves gets by and just... He's become known as such a good guy. Yes. You know? Yeah. Hasn't he? Yes. And you get those those good kind of feelings just seeing the two of them just go about their goofy business. And that's all it is. It's just, it's just a goof. And it's a for people looking for a simpler time, and aren't we all right, right now? <laughs> Especially with the with the uh, theaters back open, this is what you get for an hour and a half. You get a simple time, a goofy time. And if you have a great uh, feeling of nostalgia for this franchise, as I said before, then then you're really going to get the most out of it. Other than that, it's really not that funny. So Bill and Ted, it's you know it's somewhere between excellent and bogus. <laughs> Next is a new look at a classic, a modern take on Charles Dickens's classic tale of a young orphan who is able to triumph over many obstacles. The personal history of David Copperfield. My boyhood days seem now like a scarcely believable fiction. London is full of wonders and wickedness. And it's ours, David, to go wherever we choose. Well, I'm not down there. Creditors make that road impossible. 
David Copperfield. I'm your nephew. You're the only family I have. What do we do with him? If I were you, I'd wash him. You had nothing, then you had something, and now you got nothing again. So stands to write you'll have something again. Now, this narrative is far more than mere fiction. It is, in fact, written memory. And you'll have quite the ride on the way. I think fans of Dickens, maybe of this novel in particular, will, will be surprised at the sunny and bright attitude that's brought to this adaptation. And I was surprised by that also because the director is Armando Iannucci, who does the best satires yes. working today. Death of Stalin. Right. And, um, in Veep, the Loop. In the Loop. Oh, yeah. Really and great satire. So good. And so I, I guess I really expected this movie to be a bit more biting, and it is not. There's not a lot of cynicism in this film, but other than that, it really does have a lot of the same sort of earmarks. There are, it's it's very, very quick-paced. It's a great look at wordplay, and again, it's, it's one of those movies that has this massive ensemble, which he does so often do, and they, they really just sparkle. I mean, I, I can't think of a director currently who does a better job at getting incredibly sharp, comedic, performances from such a big ensemble. And just rapid-fire dialogue. Absolutely. Just keep it coming. Yes. Yeah, yeah that's, that's definitely an earmark. But like you said, when you see the his name especially, you think this is going to have some bite. Yeah, and it really doesn't. And, and it also, do, it really lacks, it's so, for Dickens, it's so colorful, it's so vibrant and bright. You don't, as you said, usually associate that with Dickens. <laughs> and so if you're not really familiar with the story, it is the closest thing to something autobiographical um, that he wrote about a writer who falls under hard times, sort of claws his way back, and what he really learns throughout his life is to appreciate the small characters that he comes into contact with and how they affect the trajectory of his life, which in that case makes it a great choice for Iannucci because he does make such a big deal out of all of the small characters. And that's a common theme in Dickens's work. It you is. see that throughout. You know, you look at uh, a, a Tale of Two Cities, Great Expectations. Yeah. Especially Great Expectations, yeah. you know, when somebody from the past comes back, oh, you've had a huge effect on my life. So, yeah, it's a common theme done in a different way. Yeah, and, and the uh, the supporting cast is absolutely spectacular. I don't know if people are aware of just how much we love the Tilda, <laughs> but her entrance, Tilda Swinton's entrance in this film is my favorite on-screen entrance of this year, without question, but it's not just her. And, and Dev Patel is the lead, and he does a very good job of sort of being the coat rack for all of these different characters. You know, he just, he has a great chemistry with everybody. He has a very affable personality for this mm -hmm. film. And, and if you think to yourself, Dev Patel is playing David Copperfield, how odd, correct. That's one of the things I love about this movie, is that it really is, the entire ensemble is very multiracial, Mm -hmm. And since the theme of the movie is sort of, you know, take your life and rewrite it so you like it better, why not do that? Why not make it better in that particular way? So yeah. it's not just the damn white. <laughs> so it's, um, you know, I, I really appreciate that about it. I have to admit that I probably was slightly disappointed that it wasn't maybe a little more cynical uh -huh. because I just am such a fan of Ian Uchi's other films. But I have to say that I thoroughly enjoyed this movie. And that is The Personal History of David Copperfield. Moving on to the story of Olivia, an undocumented Filipino trans woman working as a caregiver to Olga, an elderly Russian woman, in Brooklyn. When Olivia runs out of options to attain legal status in the U.S., she becomes romantically involved with Alex, Olga's adult grandson, in the pursuit of a marriage-based green card. This is called Lingua Franca. 
We're safe now. You're here with me. You don't know what you're talking about. That man that was paying him to marry me for a green card. Gorgeous. I need to tell you something. It doesn't matter to me. I had to look it up. Lingua franca is a term that's used to describe what happens when two different people don't, they, they each speak different languages. Mm-hmm. So it's the language they use to communicate that, ah, they're, you know. Okay. And it, it's kind of perfect, partly because she is originally uh, from the Philippines and she talks to her mother a lot. And so, so there's a lot of Philippine, uh, as she points out, there are 87 languages. In the Ooh. Philippines, I know, and uh, and but also because she is now sort of befriended by this young white man, and they clearly, even though they are both speaking English, they do not speak the same language, and so <laughs> it sort of speaks to the cultural differences that are happening. Yeah, it's such an understated film. The lead, Olivia, she's also the writer, director, producer, um, Isabel Sandoval. Yeah, and this is her third film. All of them incredibly impressive. All of them incredibly understated. You know, uh, the fact that she's a trans woman is is not sort of she's it's not, it's not a showy aspect of the film it simply is what it is that's what she is right. and she's also an immigrant and it's the time of ice and she's very much terrified but it's it, her performance is so fascinating because nothing seems to rile her or even really wake her up you just see on her face no matter what you throw at her she's been through worse yeah. like you know and then yeah. and then for this grandson who's just a very good looking man who undoubtedly has squandered all of his potential because you could skate by on being a good-looking man. He's a party boy, but he's a grown-up now, and he can't keep a job, and he's got to live with his grandmother. So everything that he... He is so full of sort of energy and rage and angst, and, and it's such a great counterbalance because he's basically been through nothing and yet squandered every opportunity. Yeah. And and it's just... It's such a great movie because it is... And everything about it is understated. It's almost... It's just like a slice of life, but such an extraordinary life that you would never really get a glimpse of. It's a very impressive film. Again, yeah. I highly recommend it. Another stellar film from Isabel Sandoval's Lingua Franca. Hey, let's do another horror movie. Want to? A hunter gets bitten by a vampire and runs into a shed to avoid sunlight. Stan, a 17-year-old on probation and a supervisor grandpa... Live right next to it. Stan's bullied high school buddy can use a monster. The shed. I have to tell you something. There's something in the shed. It wants to kill me. Are you kidding me? Tom, I swear to God, there's something inside. All right, then show me. Let me see your pet monster. Dude, don't you see what this means? We can use this. This is power. What? Nobody's ever going to mess with us again. Are you crazy? Think about it. It's not murder, it's payback. What the hell is happening? Dharma, what's inside that shed? Get in. What's inside that shed? This one is streaming on Shudder. And I was cautiously optimistic. I loved the opening. The hunter who gets bitten and turns into the monster of the film is Frank Whaley. Oh, yeah. Big brain on Brad. <laughs> nice to see you. And the it's metric fun. system. That's right. It's fun to see him play a monster, essentially, right? Yeah. Because, you know, that's not the kind of role he usually gets. And so at the very beginning, yeah, he's out. 
he's ru- he's got a shotgun, but he's running away from something. The, the something gets him, and then the sun comes out, and the something just... And then Frank Whaley, it, the sun hits his arm, and he realizes, and he sees a shed. Mm-hmm. So he covers himself up in this tarp, and he runs for the shed, and then they pan back, and you see the full farm, and you realize that... Whoever's in that farm is in trouble once the sun goes down. So it's, they do a nice job of creating that kind of attention. But once the core story starts rolling and you get to know Stan, the teenage boy, this movie reminded me so much of a movie that I detest called Dead Girl. I knew you were going to say that. I hate yeah. it so much. It yeah. is such a hateful film, but it's got the same basic idea. It's this sort of put-upon young man He's not popular in high school. He gets bullied. Um, the girl he likes is dating the bully. And then his best friend, he and his best friend, that's all they have in the world. And they can't wait to get out of this town. And they're ditching school. And the best friend actually has it much worse than the main character. And you realize that as things go along. And the, they, they both discover that there's a monster. One of them is sure we have to get rid of the monster. The other one thinks we can use the monster for our benefit to wreak havoc. And, and it's, so it's, it's the identical premise. It really is. Except that instead of being a dead girl, a zombie, it's a monstrous vampire in the shed and you got to board that thing up because it's going to get dark soon. (laughs) It doesn't ever take the hateful turns at all. And there are certain times where this movie does an absolutely magnificent job, very gory job, of sort of encapsulating a kind of outsider, lonesome, gotta get out of this deadbeat town vibe that I think it just does it so well. And there are some great performances in this, but it it borrows so liberally from so many movies, not just Dead Girl, but Stakeland and Night of the Living Dead and Fright Night, tons. The uh, writer, the co-writer, director Frank Sabatella, and I was surprised to see Timothy Bottoms is in this. Haven't, yeah. haven't seen him for a while. No, and you won't recognize him. <laughs> um, <laughs> It does actually have a it has a very solid cast mm-hmm. and some really good performances, particularly Dahmer, the best friend. He's great. And I enjoyed it. It's a nasty good time. It's just not particularly original. And that's a new one this week. You can find it on Shudder, The Shed. Got a survival thriller up next. A married couple find themselves trapped in their frozen vehicle after a blizzard and struggle to survive amid plunging temperatures and unforeseen obstacles. It's called Centigrade. ideas how we're getting out of here. I don't think we should get out of here. That's not really much of a plan. We're gonna freeze in here. And you don't think we're gonna freeze out there? We have to break a window. This is insane. What's insane is traipsing around the frozen wilderness. Listen. What the hell is wrong with you? Let me stop. Do you want me to lash into you? What did you do to me? I had high hopes for this one. I'm not going to lie to you. Uh, uh, you know, I'm thinking... Actually, you know what I was thinking of was open water, to be oh, honest with you. Yeah. That's what I thought to myself. It's open water in a car. I'm all in. Well, you had high hopes for, for me with it, because you know I love the survival thing, Yes, too. you do. And it opens very similar. It reminded me right away of um, Arctic, the one yeah, from last year. Yeah, that you with, like Mads Mikkelsen. Mads, because... Not to be c- confused with Polar, the bad polarized cop Mads Mikkelsen movie from <laughs> right, last year. Exactly right. Well, this one, there's absolutely no backstory. You just, boom, the, the camera fades in, and you're waking up with these two in the car. They're buried. Boom, we're right to it. And then you find out through their conversation what happened. She is a writer. It's Genesis Rodriguez and Vincent Piazza. And they're actually a real-life couple, mm-hmm. which comes into play. 
and we'll talk about that. But so they wake up. They're they're Americans, but they're in Norway. She's a novelist, and they're in Norway for her book tour, and she's very very pregnant. Why they're traveling to Norway when she's this pregnant? But that's just one of the things you have to look the other way on. But uh, so during the night, uh, a storm had come up and uh, freezing rain and all. And Matt, the guy in his infinite wisdom, decided just to pull over and wait out the storm. These well, boys are stupid. By the time they wake up, they are totally frozen over and covered. So, and that's the entire movie. And the it's the first feature for co-writer and director Brendan Walsh. And you know, I give him credit. This is ambitious. It's tough to do this. You're just right. you have the confines of a sedan basically, and you have to carve out this tense survival thriller. And of course, it becomes the two of them as they their psyches start to fray as you would they have different ideas about what to do and then you start learning a few things about their their relationship as it has progressed to now and their characters come into play a little bit more but boy as it goes on there's just really not enough here to sustain your interest for that long and and they it's it's decent the performances are good. Again, as I said, they're a real-life couple, which is important because when you're when you're dropped right in there, they seem very lived in and comfortable from right. the sure. opening, absolutely, which is important. And as it goes on, and then they when they're kind of hurting each other and fighting, and it just it does. It seems they have the natural chemistry that comes through. So that was that was a uh, probably a smart move. Um, so they they are definitely fine. It, it has too many loose ends. Where you think, okay, I can see you're you're dealing with the pregnancy in this way. That would be real. And then, well, what about this over here? No, we're not going to worry about it. Way too many. Way too many. When you realize how long they're saying that this couple was in this car, you're like, well, what about X, Y, and Z? Yeah, because Um, as days turn into weeks, uh, yeah, you get more of that. And then when you know that she's that pregnant, it's not a spoiler to say the baby's going to come. I mean, you pretty much know that. And it, the movie is also oddly specific about being based on true events. Uh, when you look a little deeper, you find out actually Walsh has admitted it's really based on about ten different right, stories. Right, cobbling that he read about. together. But with the on-screen text before and after, it's weirdly specific about the story it's supposedly based on. So that kind of throws you a little bit. And the uh, finale, the the payoff at the end, also seems like a layup. It should have been more, I think, by the time they they get to the very end and how they get out of this. But it's certainly competent. And and I do give him credit for trying to do this because mm-hmm. that's a tough row to hoe to really get a, a real tense survival thriller just inside the confines of a car. Well, so what has done it? It makes me think of Buried. Yes, right. And uh, and uh, the, I think Buried with with Ryan Reynolds. Mm-hmm. We both liked it. It mm-hmm. could have been a little bit shorter. I think yeah. maybe went on for too long, which I think is that's the problem with this is that there's rarely enough meat to sustain something for that long. Lock with Tom Hardy. Mm-hmm. That was just a great movie. That re- that that's was, the one. Yeah, it is. That's the one because if I remember right, Buried also. It did have some things happening outside the coffin with other people and maybe with his some flashbacks. Did it not? I don't think so. I think it's just him on the phone. It's very much like Locke. It's just him on a phone. But it also showed people on the other end of the phone. I don't at, think at it least did. their hand yeah, holding the be. phone. Anyway. Could be. But uh, but Locke, I'll, I'll give you that all the way. Locke, no, that is such a great movie. Locke got it done. So so this is competent. It just has too many loose ends just hanging and uh, and not enough to really hold your attention for the entire time. And that is centigrade. Let's go back to horror, but horror comedy for a film that follows four city boys on a wilderness trek as they try to escape a mysterious huntsman. It's Get Duped. This is our number one case now. 
Yeah, take some of these. You'll feel fucking invincible. Your generation, you're always complaining, always saying you are the victim. Fuck off, granddad! We have to stop them. Yeah, low super high. You won't get away with this. We always do. Let's finish this. Holy shit! Nothing ever happens in the Highlands. Well, I'll tell you one thing right now. Even if you don't see the movie, this has my vote for the funniest trailer I've seen this year. <laughs> Just a trailer, I'm laughing. in For the parts of dialogue that I could understand, because some <laughs> I couldn't understand all of it. It is a very British comedy. And, you know, it is a horror comedy. Light, light, light on horror. Heavy, heavy, heavy on comedy. And I'm going to just say it right now. Easily my favorite movie of this week. I It's so <laughs> much fun. The Duke of Edinburgh Trek. That's they're, they're, they're trying to get the Duke of Edinburgh Award. Three of the boys are trying to do this because they have blown up the lav in their school. And they have no choice. The fourth, little Ian... He's homeschooled, and he just really wants it on his transcript so it's easier for him to get into a good college. <laughs> and um, and oh. the, all four of the boys are so great, and the way it's written is so very, very generous toward dumbass teenage boys. <laughs> yeah, it's actually the feature debut for writer-director Ninian Doff. Done a lot of shorts and video shorts. Which you totally can see. He yeah. does a lot of music videos, yeah. and one of the kids, DJ Beatroot, <laughs> the future of hip-hop, yeah. oh my I got the best. And so and so DJ Beatroot does do some rapping during the course of the movie in the most hysterical possible way. And then they have some cutaways to videos that they've made of DJ Beatroot. It's it and then and then the this get duked is part of this longer song that you will be singing when it's over. <laughs> I know I was. And uh Eddie Izzard shows up in the cast. Also, Kate Dickey, who you may remember from the Game witch. of Thrones and The Witch. She was the mother in The Witch, and she's very, very funny in this. And she's very, you know, her, her accent is hysterical. Yeah. In this. Hip-hop. Hip-hop. <laughs> you know, they are in the Highlands. They're the police department in the Highlands. Uh, there are three of them in the police department. And up until they get this particularly weird call, their number one case is the bread thief. There's a bread thief. And, uh, and, and then suddenly... They're convinced that there is a gang, uh, a London hip-hop gang of Satanist pedophiles <laughs> in the Highlands. What are they going to do? And, and there, you know, there are moments where it reminds you of the Cornetto trilogy. Like, that's mm-hmm. the tone that it hits. It's, it's just a joyous, raucous. Eddie Izzard is hilarious. <laughs> of course he is. Yeah. It's, it's such a great movie. It's so much fun. Yeah, big, big recommendation for Get Duped. And we've got a a few this week that were covered by other writers for us at MadWolf.com. The first is based on historical events. Three young shepherds in Fatima, Portugal, report visions of the Virgin Mary. It's Fatima. Who are you? I come from heaven. It is a sin. You're making lies up. It's true, Mama. She was as real as you are. It could have been the devil. He often disguises himself. I've come for the seers. See what you've done? You've deceived everyone. I have to go. I promised the lady I would go back. All you need to say now is, I made everything up. So sorry you couldn't see her. Faith begins at the edges of understanding. 
This one was written by Rachel Willis for us. And the film is not bad. It's just not very, very keenly put together. It's got uh, Harvey Keitel and Sonia Braga. Sonia Braga plays the adult nun who, as a child, saw visions of the Blessed Mother in Fatima. That's Mm -hmm. what it's based on, is the miracle of Fatima. And Harvey Keitel has come to interview her because he is a skeptic. Uh, So then you see in a flashback, but the problem is that the movie just, there, there are so many characters who come and go, who serve only as a vehicle. They don't dig into anything. Why is it that only this one little girl is sort of, they're convinced that she is making this up? Why is she the one who's being the most persecuted? They just don't really dig into much of anything. It's a very pretty film. And there are some, you know, some fairly decent performances. But on the whole, it's it's just not very well put together. Next, after years of tracking down international criminals, a trip to a remote jungle prison will force Chinese cop Zin to become human prey to fight for his freedom and save his own life. It's the prey. <laughs> Brandon Thomas did this one for us, and um, that was a, an intentional assignment because this had just had Brandon Thomas written all over it. <laughs> it's a most dangerous game, The Hunt. It's one of those type of films, yeah. but it's martial arts chicanery, and the lead who plays Zinn, that's clearly his strong suit is martial arts. He's a very impressive martial artist. He is not a very impressive actor, although let's be honest, I'm not sure how much acting is really required in this particular kind of film. So I think that if, if, you know, if you find yourself drawn to uh, the most dangerous game with martial arts, you're probably going to enjoy The Prey. If that doesn't sound like something you'd like, you're not going to like it. Yeah, Brandon thought it didn't break any sort of new ground, but it celebrates decades-old genre uh, with a lot of excitement and technical prowess. And I think you were right on because Brandon loves that stuff. Yes, he does. So he does give it a re- recommendation. That's The Prey. Next is the story of an Instagram model who has her diary stolen, and an obsessive fan begins sending her love letters, informing her that they are killing anyone who they see as a danger to her. It's called Diary. Dear Marie, while you don't know me, I am writing to return what appears to be your diary. Since I cannot be absolutely sure it is yours, I found what I hope to be your address on a piece of paper in the back of the book. Prior to returning it over to its rightful owner, I thought it best to ask you a few pertinent questions. Where did you meet so many interesting people? What's keeping you up at night? I lost my diary. And I said it like that, diary, because it's spelled D-I-E-R-Y. See, get it? Yeah. Diary. Tricky. And this was reviewed for us at MadWolf.com by Darren Tilby. That's we're, right. We're glad Welcome. to have, glad to right. have on uh, Team Mad Wolf. You know, he's a horror fan. We're horror fans, and we were hopeful for this movie. And the performances are very good, actually. Surprisingly good. The writing is quite terrible. Social commentary about social media. It's also got about a thousand other storylines that are going on. None of them are resolved. None of them are brought together in any particularly good way. It leaves you with a lot of unanswered questions and not a lot of entertainment. And a lot of exposition. A lot. Which uh, is often problematic as it is here. And you can read the full review at MadWolf.com from Darren Tilby, and that is Diary. And finally, a bittersweet comedy. A rising young filmmaker is thrown into emotional turmoil by a burgeoning romance and the upcoming premiere of his second feature. This is called Benjamin. You okay? I'm sorry, I'm gonna try the divorce. Me too. Do you wanna talk about the divorce? Truly, I was 13. I was five. Well, you know, it wasn't your fault. 
What do you want, Lou? Stop talking. What about all that sex, huh? What's your type? I I always end up with bits like you. Oh, good. I think I'm going to end up hurting you. I think in the future that'll all seem quite funny. Seth Troyer reviewed this one for us, and he just loved it. He said that, you know, it's it's one of those films where you can see familiar ideas being floated out there, and in different hands, it could be just sort of a talky, look how quirky I am as a filmmaker movies, but instead it was a really lovely and nuanced romance. Yes, Seth really liked it. He said it was a cry for the mind to just shut up for once and let the heart take the wheel for a change. Nice. Nothing bad about that. So a recommendation for Benjamin. And you can read Seth's review at madwolf.com. Oh, almost forgot about one, a documentary. For 20 years, Indie Record Store Other Music was an influential hub of music culture in NYC. And this film reminds us that the spirit of the much-loved destination will live on even after it closed its doors. It's called Other Music. In the late 90s, early 2000s, I don't think that people really have an idea of how many records were sold out of this store. Other music at the time was one of the main sources for hearing about music first. There shouldn't have been an intimidation factor. There was. I mean, I'm not the first person to say that, right? It wasn't just the record store. It was definitely like a community center in a lot of ways. It's one of those things where it transcends a job. You know, these people become your family. Plan is to close other music um, on June 25th. It's sad. It's like a home for a lot of people. I was immediately drawn to this movie because... Years ago, we wrote for a newspaper called The Other Paper. Right. And they called themselves The Other Paper because at that time, there was only one newspaper in Columbus called The Dispatch, and so we were The Other Paper. Right. And this is other music because it was set up in Manhattan right across the street from a Tower Records. So the message was, (laughs) if you don't like that sort of music, we have other music in here. Perfect. And they were open for 20 years and came to be just a cultural landmark, and it's, it's a really... Great story, not only of the store, but for a community and a a way of life that now has totally changed because, as one of the owners says, the way people consume music just changed. Right. And it's not just music. The way people are consuming almost everything has changed. Yeah. And it just just put them out of business. And it's a great look at the store, the people that own it, the people that work there, some of the people, famous... Famous people now that talk about going in there and being intimidated because they, they didn't think they were cool they enough. They didn't think they were cool because of the, you know, the, the the typical snobbish record store employee that sort of thing. But, but also it was a deal where the the clientele relied on those people to recommend things to yeah. them, and they were really really into it because that and they, and they when customers came in there they felt like they found their people right and it became a staple in the community and I think what what really it improves this movie. Uh, the co-directors are Paloma Basu and Rob Hatch Miller, and I believe this is their feature debut as well. And they really find a way to put it in context to what is going on outside the store, because we've seen a few of these documentaries about the last day of some business, and it's always bittersweet, and they're well done. This one puts it in a bigger context, which makes it very effective, and also hangs around after that last day. Just to give you a final a final look at how people are moving on. So I really, really recommend it if you're a music fan or just fans of, of really effective documentaries. I think you'll like this. It's called Other Music. And that takes us to the lobby. 
Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Back in the lobby, which means we're checking back in with our news correspondent, the schlocketeer, Daniel Baldwin. And I guess we got some breaking news. I just saw something about AMC this morning. Yes, apparently, I haven't fully read up on it, but and of course, I'm sure more details will come out as things get further along. But apparently, AMC is making some sort of pledge to, uh, I guess, buy up or partner with or help any theaters that are struggling due to the pandemic this year. So on the one hand, it's nice you know, to see a corporation at least seemingly willing to step up and help um, struggling smaller theaters. But on the other hand, you have to wonder if they're just swooping in and scooping things up at a cheap price because people are desperate. Exactly. I guess that could really go either way. It could. We will, uh, well, it remains to be seen. Now, we did go to our local AMC. They're open here in Columbus, Ohio. And I got to be honest, we were uh, impressed at the safety measures they were taking this weekend. In fact, Hope felt a little uneasy, but left feeling pretty comfortable about it. So it's good. It's good on that end. That's good. And of course, next weekend, looking to be a big movie, a weekend with Tenet coming out. And now we're hearing that it's going to be in theaters, but in the cities where it's not in theaters, they're pulling it from drive-ins? Yeah, apparently some sort of edict has come down the line where if you are living in a town that has both indoor theaters and drive-ins, if your indoor theaters are not open, they're not going to allow it to play at your drive-in. Mm. Basically, they'll only I guess they will only let the film play at drive-ins that are I guess, off on their own as opposed to near any indoor theaters. They're really pushing theater chains and, I guess, local theaters to open back up and show the movie. Yeah. Which, on the one hand, is good for business, but might not be good for people in general. Exactly. And really, (laughs) one of the nice, one of the few nice things about all this has been the resurgence of drive-ins. Exactly. That has been nice to see. And then we have one big movie now pushed back to next year? Yes. Up until now, we still had three major releases still set for... uh, an actual theatrical run in September, and they were Tenant, The King's Man, and Greenland. Well, The King's Man has now bounced to February 26th, leaving Christopher Nolan's Tenant and Gerard Butler. Greenland as the sole wide theatrical releases that are still set for next month. And on the one hand, obviously, how Tenant performs is going to dictate you know, how many other movies continue to move throughout the fall. But on the other hand, it makes me wonder if the other chains, you know, outside of Warner Brothers are still really iffy about this. And they might, I I mean, I wouldn't be too surprised if we start seeing more October releases start getting pushed back to 2021. Halloween Kills already left, but there's still a good amount of big movies that are set for October release. So I'm I'm wondering how that will... uh, play out over the coming weeks, I guess. Yeah, I'm with you. I wouldn't be surprised either. So we will see. The Schlocketeer, that's where you can find Daniel Baldwin on social media. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me. So next week, looking like a big week. We've got Tenet in the theaters, and we've got Mulan on Disney+. Yes. Tenet starts on Monday, which is so weird. I know. It's not like it's Labor Day. Why is it starting on Monday? I don't know, but we're trying to big borrow and steal to see it early. Yeah. We'll see how that goes. Yeah. Fingers crossed. And then also one that we reviewed and you saw a while ago that was very good, Shadow of Violence. Also, I'm thinking of ending things. Could not be more excited. Charlie Kaufman. That is getting some great, great early buzz. Can't, Can't wait for that. Measure for measure. Surrogate. Hashtag unfit. About Donald Trump. Well, I can't wait to see that. Oh, my God. <laughs> Robin's Wish. It's a documentary about Robin Williams, so just be prepared. Uh, We're yeah. going to watch that tonight and have it break our hearts. Ooh. Immortal. And A Step Without Feet. 
Don't know anything about that. So some big ones, some smaller ones, and I'm sure there'll be some good ones in there to talk about next week. But until then, what do you think about this week? You love that Bill and Ted? You love that YA horror stuff with the new mutants? We want to hear about it. You've, you can find us easily on Twitter. We're at Mad Wolf. That's M-A-D-D-W-O-L-F. Also on Facebook and Instagram, it is Mad Wolf Columbus. And the main website where you can find all of our written reviews from both Hope and myself and our whole team that we talked about, find that at MadWolf.com, along with our other horror movie-only podcast called Fright Club. Got another one dropping very soon, so check that out, too. All at MadWolf.com. Thank you, as always, for coming by the screening room. If you do us a favor while you're here and subscribe, rate, and review this podcast, we would appreciate it. So keep in touch if you can. Until next week, she is Hope Mad. He's George Wolf. And this is the Screening Room Podcast. See ya. I do wish we could chat longer, but I'm having an old friend for dinner. Bye. Okay, everybody, that's a wrap. <laughs>